This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus, episode 629. This week, we welcome Ed Light. We're going to talk about COVID-19, practice to research, best practices for schools, and more. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. Please let our sponsors know you appreciate their support of IAQ Radio Plus. Our marquee sponsor is Instascope at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are the American Industrial Hygiene Association at AIHA.org, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists at ACGIH.org, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute at CIRIScience.org, the Indoor Air Quality Association at IAQA.org, the Restoration Industry Association at restorationindustry.org, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification at iicrc.org, and Healthy Buildings America 2021 at hb2021-america.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories at aemlinc.com, Particles Plus at particlesplus.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions at graywolfsensing.com. TSI Inc. at tsi.com. Sunbelt Rentals at sunbeltrentals.com. April Air at aprilaire.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine at healthyindoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Terry Sofer Sr., in Annandale, Virginia, who identified 109 as the number of people who founded the International Society of Indoor Air Quality and Climate, also known by the acronym ISIAC. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for today, June 11th, 2021, has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for the monitoring of indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at TSI. Here's today's trivia question. Name the cast member of the original Wizard of Oz who was replaced after becoming severely sickened by their makeup. Back to you, Joe. Okay, today's guest is Mr. Ed Light. He has degrees in environmental science from the University of Massachusetts and Marshall University Master in Science. He is a senior fellow of the American Industrial Hygiene Association and has authored over 40 scientific publications on assessment and control of indoor environments and has cleared uh, has chaired several national scientific committees. Welcome to the show, Ed. I have some things going on you guys might be interested in. Sure. Uh, but first, as far as the theater arts and musical industrial hygiene, uh, I've had a of course, I, you know, I, as you might know, I, I have a, an active jug band that gets out and does gigs. So we have an interesting story of carbon monoxide poisoning that started of our band. And, and because of my background and experience, I caught it early. And it's a it's a very interesting story. I don't, I don't know how if you want to go on with it. And, and also, Cliff, you, you bring up a interesting new issue we should add as we're uh, working on the IICRC uh, fire restoration standard and add to your section on combustion sources uh, Michael Jackson's hair but but anyways on the serious side uh, uh, on our continuing work with COVID, both on uh, 
my engineering firm advising clients and my ongoing research to see what the science and field experience is, is actually showing us about COVID control in buildings, which is very different than, than what you're generally hearing. Uh, so the HPAC engineering uh, publication is sponsoring uh, us to do a webinar next Thursday, and this is going to focus on how to spend uh, the new federal hundreds of millions of dollars going out to school districts for COVID control. And so it, this will be, uh, I believe, next Thursday at 11. And I, I sent Cliff just now an email that if there's some way to post it, it's the invitation from HPAC to join in or to uh, see it later. And uh, this will be uh, particularly guidance to the school districts and, and, and consultants and public in general about, first of all, what's been shown to be actually effective in COVID transmission and the relative role of HVAC in this versus uh, funding other infection control measures. And uh, it really takes a position that more practical improvements to operation and maintenance rather than uh, bringing in all kinds of new equipment as far as portable controls and HPAC upgrades uh, is much more likely to be helpful and certainly more cost effective. And focusing a lot of funds on basic infection control and not necessarily on super enhanced cleaning. So this should be uh, an interesting uh, thing to take a look at. And this is very different perspective than what you're getting from our organizations and all the marketing and really uh, uh, internet education, so, so to speak, on COVID control in buildings. A couple uh, of questions about it. You know. And then one other thing uh, is, is interesting. As you've been talking about the Healthy Buildings Conference coming up, the, uh, of course, they've uh, requesting abstracts to submit, and the focus is on uh, research and practice uh, in IAQ. So the four papers I'm now finalizing as abstracts to present, uh, if if they'll let me, and uh, goes through the peer review process. First of all, is a critique of research support for implementation of COVID response measures. And that actually is critical of both the research community, uh, which has been f fallen far short of giving us the, the information we need to actually decide on uh, cost-effective measures that are actually going to work out there, and the practitioner community in, in terms of uh, promoting and implementing uh, HVAC and cleaning work for covid which the evidence suggests doesn't do a whole lot, and they're missing the mark on some practical uh, approaches to this, which really would be uh, helpful and reduce COVID transmission. And again, our big point is that uh, a very small part of COVID transmission overall has anything to do with HVAC and cleaning and uh, we'll be presenting the uh, review of the evidence on this, uh, which is quite different than the impression that, that everyone is getting. Another paper, uh, uh, based on some work I've just finished up with a school district, is a long-term comparison of HVAC filter performance in which we were given an elementary school 
with 12 uh, virtually identical HVAC zones. It, you know, they each had a little rooftop unit, and we put a different filter in each one for a year, um, uh, uh, did some uh, documentation of air quality and filter performance and operations and maintenance. Also, that included a, an air cleaning system, which is been widely promoted for uh, you know controlling indoor air quality and of course these things are uh, very aggressively being promoted for COVID uh, and accompanying that was a literature review on what we actually know and what's pertinent to uh, the effectiveness of advanced filtration and the origin of this study is our one of our school district clients is getting bombarded with marketing that you've got to save the kids and the teachers and, and put in high MERV and, and fancy filtration. So a big focus of our study was actually comparing eight, uh, MERV 8s with MERV 13s. And so this is being compiled, very interesting results which I hope to present at Healthy Buildings. Another, I'm actually doing four proposed papers, and one is uh, something I've been working on for several years, uh, including through my uh, membership in the Ashley Moisture Committee, and that's the basic idea of how to classify damp buildings. And... Uh, as of now, it's like you're damp or you're not damp. It's not been defined. Uh, you look at all the the research papers on damp buildings, and they're all done differently. And what I'm kind of codifying here is how I actually inspect and assess buildings for dampness. And that needs to take into account... Uh, not only you know some immediate measurements uh, of and there are several types of dampness you know uh, water damage excessive humidity and 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 so on so this is a classification system that will look at all these and go with a rating uh, to prioritize and also on the health side it will give really for the first time some uh, uh, qualitative but objective measurement of how much exposure there's been. And, you know, the, the people who are concerned they may have a mold illness and are going to doctors, it's so important to understand at least the relative exposure. And then what my classification system also does is look at the timing, what's in the past, what's intermittent, what's potential in the future, what parts of the building, and at what times we're exposing people. And it's actually a, a very simplified system. It's, it's very qualitative. But my paper will address this, and that's another paper. Then, on the uh, minor subject of climate change, uh, <laughs> I am uh, compiling information from the consulting work we did during the summer of 2018 here in the mid-Atlantic, and you know, I'm based in Maryland, but we're in different states, you know, we had a record-breaking heavy rains and humidity dew point levels. And it was uh, so interesting, both in the construction work we do and in the HVAC uh, uh operations in existing buildings that the mold growth threshold was exceeded in that summer so in construction you know all construction gets wet and dries out and we particularly do a lot of work on wood frame multifamily type buildings and what happened that that year was really dramatic in that uh there were at least 12 big apartment buildings under construction that summer that we worked on that were just totally covered with mold and saturated wood. <laughs> and uh, so, of course, we 
you know, had, had to work with them for, for almost several months in some buildings to get rid of the mold and get these things dried out so they could finish the construction. And so what that shows us is that what in normal summers, wet and dried, and if there's any mold and drying to be done, it was really minor. It was a huge effect on these construction projects. And then on the existing building side, during that record-breaking summer, uh, we had some huge uh, humidity-related mold outbreaks. And one big case study we can focus on is a university, a big dormitory had to be evacuated right in the beginning of the school year because there's so much uh, humidity-related mold. And our engineers did a lot of work in analyzing why that HVA system uh, allowed that. And, and really, a, a lot of older HVAC systems are terrible at dehumidification. So you get into our climate zones in the south, uh, they're really at risk. But what was really interesting, and this is relative to climate change, is that the amount of sustained dew point we had that summer put what's usually very minor localized mold growth, uh, it just exceeded that threshold of moisture and duration of moisture, where we got mold all over this dormitory. And so what my paper will do is show, and we're not going to take a position on climate change. It, you know, this could, this could have happened because of normal, you know, variations in weather. Uh, but it shows that when you got a record-breaking wet summer, uh, you know, this could happen to buildings. And if climate change is real and significant, you know, this could be a, a, a factor to be aware of and, and have to at least accommodate if all our governments can't get it together to, to stop this. And as a part of the paper, I always try to do literature reviews. Uh, I'm, I'm actually finding some interesting climate studies where they're trying to differentiate when you get uh, super rainfalls in areas. What is man-made contribution and what's natural cycles. So, of course, the research is developing there as it is in all our stuff. So that will be another paper I'll have. And well, that's very interesting, Ed. Cliff, do you have a couple questions for Ed? I do, I do. Um, going back to what you started with, Ed, uh, was the, uh, I suspect, uh, podcast that you're going to be doing, um, you know, regarding ventilation recommendations uh, for use inside of schools, et cetera. I'm wondering whether you have changed your opinion from the beginning when COVID first came out uh, to now, to, you know, did your opinion change on what your recommendations would have been at the beginning of the COVID outbreak and, um, you know, knowing what we know now. So is, is there a difference or you think you would have had the same recommendation? At the oh, it absolutely has changed and evolved as uh, we've learned more, not so much from the research, a little bit from the research. It's been uh, one of the first things I came out with was a paper in the Ashery Journal showing the gaps in the research that we as practitioners, people who run buildings and look at them, uh, need to know to to address COVID effectively. And there's been very, very few studies come out, most of them from other countries. The U.S. has uh, you know, talked a lot, research has been done, spent, but really uh, 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 there's very little information studied on uh, or, or produced on the epidemiology and actual amount of COVID out or SARS-2 virus out there and whether any of these things we're doing are effective. And so as I've, so initially uh, our, our focus was to do anything we could to improve the air and improve the surfaces. Uh, you know, assuming that these were major factors. 
And as we develop the information, uh, uh, so both for cleaning that I work very closely with uh, and with HVAC operation, which uh, we work very closely with, we've seen that a, a lot of the over-the-top over major stuff is very unlikely to have much effect that HVAC and fomite surface transmission are really a very small part of how this has been spreading. Uh, and, uh, you know, based on my opinion, which is, you know, I'm public health schooled and, and my initial work was as industrial hygienist with the state health department, uh, uh, has changed to where building stuff, the HVAC, there are some focused things that can be done that, that really can make a difference. And, and we're hearing that, uh, you know, the few studies that have truly found, you know, the, the airborne SARS-2 virus, when it's sampled for, it's all out there, it spreads around. But the, the bottom line is epidemiology. Who has actually gotten sick and can that be traced back to a cause of uh, long-range airborne, and then, more importantly, is it going through HVAC systems and actually transmitting disease? And based on our understanding of this, which we sorted out several months into the pandemic, uh, there is, uh, we're recommending uh, a very limited range of mostly operation and maintenance type stuff for HVAC and good quality cleaning, sanitizing work, but not necessarily using advanced technology or totally shutting down schools once a week for deep cleaning. And, uh, and that, that's been a real change, Cliff, and, and you know, based on, on the information coming out. I guess you know to to you know move further along with it. Um, you study this stuff and you research this stuff, and you're involved with a lot of committees with a lot of different organizations. And uh, can you comment, or do you know um, the the states that opened the schools, such as Florida, uh, New York City, uh, so on and so forth, that that, or, that opened schools quickly or never really closed them. Did they have a lot of uh, COVID transmission uh, in, in schools? Uh, you know, looking back on this, uh, I think schools could have been opened up generally and safely uh, to a large extent and kind of dictated by community infection rates, but particularly as they've come down, uh, uh, I, I really believe that the buildings could have been operated in a reasonably safe manner and, you know, medical management of the COVID. And it's, it's a total shame uh, what's done to our kids' education in the last year. It's horrible. Uh, and uh, uh, so the, the basic measures we've been suggesting to the school districts we work with. And, and also, you know, I'm in Maryland. The Maryland Association of School Boards sponsored us. To, you know, we gave a webinar to all our school district uh, facilities people in Maryland. <laughs> and we've been suggesting important stuff they can do. And, you know, I, I've been at IAQ work in schools for 40 years. This has been a very important part of what I've done. And most of the, you know, the IQ overall really has problems in schools. And the most important answer I've been seeing for the last 40 years is improved operation and maintenance, HVAC. There's so much stuff not working right. It's disrepair. The control strategies are set wrong. Uh, filters are in there but they're bypassing all over the place when you look closely so our number one recommendation to schools which 
will also improve IAQ long run, and I think is the best use of this federal money, is go through, find all the problems with your existing HVAC equipment and schedules and how it's run, and fix it. And some of our school district clients have been trying to do the best they can with that. It's expensive. They are so understaffed in the maintenance departments and the custodial departments. That's where we need to beef things up and get an improvement for COVID and keep it up. We, we've got to get better IQ in schools. And, uh, you know, that that's a, a huge part of the answer to that. It's not bells and whistles stuff and it's not you got to re- totally replace all the systems um, the engineering part of my company is uh, we do a lot of design work it's almost all in replacement of all old HVAC systems in schools and some of them are horrible some we can fix up and get going pretty well and that's important but that uh, so my thinking has really in- evolved through COVID. COVID is a tremendous opportunity and very interesting to me in my field uh, uh, to understand and see how it's developed. But my paper at uh, Healthy Buildings, if it's going to be very politically incorrect to say this stuff, but I'm going to be very critical of both the researchers and the practitioners and how we've responded to COVID. Let me uh, let's stop here. We want to thank our sponsors, John, and then we'll come back. Ed, I've got a couple questions for you on the second half. Our marquee sponsor, Instascope. More jobs done faster with the future of IAQ assessment technology. Unlimited samples, instant results, and cloud-based data at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World at AIHA.org. ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science, at ACGIH.org. The Cleaning Industry Research Institute, See More Deeply Through Science and Research, at CIRIScience.org. The Indoor Air Quality Association, promoting the exchange of indoor environmental quality information through education and research at IAQA.org. The Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry, network with leaders at restorationindustry.org. The IICRC, a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry at IICRC.org and Healthy Buildings America 2021 in Honolulu, Hawaii, November 9 through 11 at HB2021-America.org. IAQ Radio industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, free shipping, great pricing, same-day results with no rush fee at AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus, feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us at ParticlesPlus.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, over 20 years manufacturing accurate, reliable IAQ instrumentation for portable, short-term, and continuous monitoring at GrayWolfSensing.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals, availability, reliability, and ease for all your IAQ and restoration needs at SunbeltRentals.com. April Air, healthy air, healthy home at AprilAIRE.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers at HealthyIndoors.com. All right, we're back for the second half of the show today. We've got an open mic, and Ed uh, Ed Lights joined us. Ed, when you were talking about schools, you mentioned HVAC systems a lot. Um, 
but I didn't hear you mention much about the building envelope. Um, these HVAC systems can't do what they're designed to do if the building envelope is full of holes. Um, would you comment on that? So our, you know, we have uh, uh, several PE mechanical engineers with, you know, we do very detailed design and troubleshooting work with HVAC. And, and like I said, we, we specialize in replacement in older schools and the envelope is a huge part of the design consideration in that. Uh, we've published and done work in the past on summer mold growth, uh, humidity-related mold growth in schools, and uh, infiltration of humid air and the ability to dehumidify it. Uh, and that's a huge building envelope <laughs> issue, and we've got interesting findings on that. Uh, so understanding and working with the envelope and sometimes sealing it up with chewing gum or hopefully something better uh, really gets you better control of the building. You know, I, I really like what you were saying about spending that money on things that should have been done anyway. Let's face it, um, just better quality operations and maintenance, uh, updates, uh, maintenance to your mechanical system. One thing you didn't mention, I want to mention, and I want to see if you agree with this, is testing and balancing of those systems. Uh, it doesn't happen very often, if at all, once the building has been commissioned. Is that your experience, Ed? Sure. And when you uh, look at uh, schools with problems, uh, e even some recently built or modernized schools balance is crazy all over the place and that makes a huge difference for a lot of reasons uh and uh our suggestions on covid and the kind of assessment we're doing on buildings is you know it's expensive to do a full proper test and balance and fix all the, and adjust all the things that you you find but on our COVID assessments, we're starting with real simple, obvious stuff. You know, find rooms where uh, there's no air coming in, even though it's supposed to. Or find rooms with, you know, improper supplies and returns, or sometimes in schools, no supplies and returns or exhausts where they should be. And uh, also, it's interesting to trail back into the complaint records because occupants uh, uh, will uh, complain about systems, particularly when they're thermally uncomfortable and when there's significant IEQ stuff. And, of course, they're going to complain about other stuff that's not relevant. But chronic complaint rooms and zones in the building uh, can point you to problem areas, and often it's key part of that is they're just they're way out of balance and uh and kind of seat of the pants adjustments to re restore a, a better balance uh can be done quickly inexpensively and also in our assessments we want to identify schools where bringing in comprehensive controls and test and balance would really make a lot of sense and help. And then, of course, you're comparing it to the options of full modernization and, and replacement. And that, that's the kind of engineering that, that we want to do. And there's not enough thinking like that out there. As, as far as the improving the maintenance in the buildings, what we almost always find in the school districts, they, they got really good mechanics and maybe an engineer in there and there's just nowhere and they got hundreds of schools to do in the bigger districts there's nowhere they have the good ideas and good skills and they can't get it done in the schools on the surface cleaning side uh uh you know there always could be a, a bigger custodial staff but what we find is huge differences in the quality of their work. In some schools, custodians really keep on top of stuff, and those places are clean. The 
you know, everybody worries about mold exposure. The basic dust and allergen exposure is a very important issue, and you don't need to test each little protein or whatever. You got to get the surfaces clean consistently, and that that's an interesting finding of the filter paper we're coming out with, is that only a certain amount of particulate goes through the HVAC, and when you got filthy surfaces and activity in the rooms, that that's where real exposure is. Also, getting back to that paper. The scientific evidence we could find uh, supports, you know, BIRV-13, more advanced uh, filtration for health reasons, where the school is sitting in a real polluted outdoor environment. And there, there's evidence that, yeah, that's going to reduce health risk. But in, you know, the particular school district we did that study in, it's uh, rural now becoming overdeveloped outside of, you know, a growing metropolitan area. But there's no industries or huge superhighways next to the, to the school. And, you know, our, our recommendation based on that study is that for existing schools, increasing the uh, MERS is really not going to give them significant health value. Our study showed that, yeah, you count the particles, you cut down the fine particles by MERV, but our health uh, review indicated that that's not going to get you a, a real health benefit as far as the existing studies that I found. All right, let's, uh, Cliff, do you have another quick follow-up or do you want to go to the roundup? Um, we can go to, well, I just before we go to the roundup, I'm not sure how many people were watching the news last night, and I saw something that was really, really alarming. And apparently, Israel uh, was very early involved with giving COVID uh, to the entire population, and they also gave uh, COVID vaccinations to uh, younger people. And I'm not sure that you heard this or not, but apparently, there have been some a significant number of issues with kids in their hearts. And uh, now they're starting to see some of this in the United States. And I'm just wondering, uh, for those of you who have children in school or children in college, what are you going to do if the school or the college mandates that your son or daughter needs to be vaccinated in order to go back to school? And you know, many of your children may have had COVID, and if they're not going to allow an exemption for that, just what are you going to do? So I, I just was very concerned about it. So back to you, Joe. All right. And the go. next the next several months uh, on getting vaccinated and figuring out, you know, how, how we're going to run buildings and interact in society is going to be super critical. And uh, how the vaccinations are going, this is really the basic you know, immediate issue of COVID, and it's not how we run HVAC or doing our surface cleaning. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go to the roundup. Don Weeks, if you can join us, I'd love to have you jump in here and say a few words. And uh, anybody else that wants to jump on and say a few words, please let us know you're interested. John. The roundup is now sponsored by April Air, Healthy Air, Healthy Home at AprilAIRE.com. Don Weeks, do we have you on the line? Yes, I'm here, and uh, I'm here for a first. This is the first time that the most uh, frequent visitors of IQ Radio, Ed and myself, are on at the same time. There you go. <laughs> and right. uh, Ed and I go back a long time, about 35, 40 years. Uh, and, you know, we've been uh, on. Uh, various committees together. We actually, believe it or not, uh, went to Finland together and shared a, uh, a student hostel room together at uh, wow. Healthy Buildings. Uh, was that what was that? Ed? Was that was 1993, I think, or was it 2000? Yeah, it was, it was early 90s, and we were an odd couple roommates trying to deal with the uh, all night sunshine in Helsinki. Yeah, they had, they had they had no they had no blackout shades for whatever reason so we 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 had no choice but to be up for for hours and uh, and hours watching the, the sun not go down. 
Um, anyway, this it's been an interesting discussion. I, I, I you know, I, I've been looking at some in, uh, some very new papers. One that came out just this month with uh, with regards to um, outdoor transmission of um, of, um, of viruses came from uh, Jack Spengler uh, at uh, Harvard and uh, and Hugo Lee, who's been a kind of a, a, a you know really a, a guru on this since the SARS. Uh, one ca uh, case in 2013, he and, uh, and uh, Jack uh, have teamed up and talked about uh, looking at some exposures, not only from uh, the Amway uh, Gardens back in 2003, but also about current problems that are happening in very dense areas of Hong Kong, where uh, the, the uh, attempt to try to, va to uh, ventilate the various parts of the towers uh, ended up with getting high levels of uh, of, uh, of the virus out into the air and then to another intake somewhere else in one of the other towers. So you, you actually had transmission, oh, outside transmission of the of the uh, of the virus in that regard. It's an interesting paper that came out in just uh, May of this year. So that's that's kind of new. Um, and my other comment is that you know that I'm hoping that uh, that the focus now is on reopening. Not just on basically dealing with the with the problems, but basically what are we what are we going to do to make a difference in schools and in, in office buildings that so that people feel comfortable working in those environments, no matter what the exposure might be, whether it be uh, dealing with uh, with a virus or dealing with uh, with with uh, dust levels or cleanliness and things of that nature. What are we going to do differently so that we're prepared better for the next time that we go through something of this nature? Interesting. Hey, uh, Don, Lan works at a small college, I believe, yes. up in, the, in your area there. What, uh, what kind of feedback has she been giving you on how things are going? Well, it's, uh, yes, <laughs> very interesting uh, interaction between uh, the public health people and, uh, and the building owners uh, about this, this whole situation. Uh, and it's, it, 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 public health is very focused on, on basically, um, you know, dealing with, the, with people coming into the buildings and how they, they how do they basically uh, get control? Do they do a test of some sort, uh, either a, a, a temperature test, which doesn't really seem to make much difference one way or the other, or there's there's some other way in which you have to basically have security tell them that they're not allowed to enter because they haven't been they haven't been officially tested within the last 72 hours. So she's been dealing with that on a security basis and on a building basis, where she's you know had to revamp her uh, her HVAC systems uh, and get uh, new types of filters, usually uh, MERV 13 or uh, in there, and um, she's now being asked by the city of Ottawa, "What are you doing, you know, to um, to control uh, the exposure starting up in September?" Uh, we're still in lockdown, so I mean, in, in that regard, it's a it's a very difficult, different situation than it is in the states. But there, you know, there's been a lot of talk about uh, how how you know she has a committee basically working on just how they're going to admit uh, staff, uh, teachers, uh, assistants, and students into the into the classrooms again. And uh, there's been no finalization as yet. We may be going through another year uh, or at least another semester with, uh, with just virtual classrooms. We're not really sure what's going to happen uh, start coming September. So we'll see. It should be interesting. What's the vaccination situation like there in Canada? Have you been vaccinated? Do you plan on doing it? Uh, are they going to require it for the schools? Okay, so let's me, let me go for each one of those. Uh, I have gotten my first shot uh, as most uh, people, 70% of the people in uh, Ontario have. Uh, the system is different here, though. The second shot, you're not necessarily, uh, you cannot get it, generally speaking, unless you, there's a waiting period of about 12 or 16 uh, weeks before you can get the second shot. So I'm still waiting to get the second shot in, uh, in August right now. And she had got the uh, AstraZeneca shot uh, in April. There's no plans at this point that anybody has announced as to whether or not she's gonna be able to get a second shot. Uh, so we're kind of stuck at the moment. We, we can't go anywhere one way or the other. We certainly can't cross the border. The border is completely closed uh, to any, anybody except for uh, you know, critical or, or, or you know, any type of uh, manufacturing facilities and things of that nature. But if you're just trying to go and visit your, your uh, family or going for a vacation, you can't cross the border. So. Um, we expect that by July 1st, which here is Canada Day, it's uh, similar to the 4th of July, by, uh, by July 1st, we'll probably have around about 75% having the first shot. 
but we're still less than 15% for the second shot. So we're, we're going to be doing a lot of catch up over the summer for that. Um, in terms of the schools, as I mentioned, it's still very much in the air. They've been closed uh, now since March. There was some thought that they were reopened uh, this month, but they didn't. Uh, they're now all aiming for September. Um, and so what they're going to do in terms of whether or not they're going to require vaccination, it probably won't be required, but it will be encouraged. Uh, and then there will be, you know, there'll be testing probably of, of, uh, of, uh, of the students as they come in. My 19-year-old uh, electrical engineer student is probably going to be doing a full semester again uh, online um, with, with uh, virtual uh, laboratories, which is, is not exactly what he was uh, hoping for. He wanted to actually get his hands on to some of the equipment, but they're not going to be allowed. I don't think they're going to be allowed to do that. It's not been officially announced yet, but my feeling is that that's probably going to be the case. So I'd be remiss if I didn't say that's Carleton University, and that's uh, where David Miller, many of you know, he just received the uh, first uh, Philip Maury uh, Memorial Award from ACGIH. So congratulations to David. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, as he said yesterday, very, very touched by, by getting something of that nature. Excellent. Um, it, Canada uh, has been a little different th than the U.S. On, on how they've responded to things. Well, first off, that AstraZeneca, I don't know that that's even being used in the U.S. Is that a one or a two shot deal? It's a two-shot deal. Uh, it isn't being used in the states. Uh, there were orders for it, but they, you know, they, I think they basically have destroyed it. I just saw a news flash that said that the uh, Johnson and Johnson one, I think it was six million, is going to be discarded. Uh, so from that contaminated plant. So I mean, there's been a lot of back and forth. We don't. Canada does not manufacture its own uh, vaccines. So we're totally dependent on uh, other countries, including the United States, for getting vaccines. We're getting a fair number of them now, but uh, you know they're, they're strictly the ones that uh, everybody else has been, you know, clamoring for the Pfizer and Moderna ones. And I have a Pfizer, so that's why I have a scheduled appointment. But uh, for Lanchi, we have no idea what's going to happen. Very interesting, Ed. Anything you wanted to add before we wrap things up? Well, I, I have all kinds of technical things to add, but just going on from what Don said. Uh, in the United States, we're, we're zipping along with the uh, getting everybody vaccinated. And I, it turns out that I'm in the one group that is, uh, doesn't appear to be getting immunized by the vaccine. And that's because I had a kidney transplant several years ago, and it saved my life. I'm doing great and all that. But because of our anti-rejection drugs, uh we're not getting any antibody response and this really disappoints me because I like to get out there and work and get out with everybody. So, and, uh, so I'm, uh, supposed to be using my, and I, I use a respirator instead of a mask the whole time. Uh, and, uh, so this really affects me personally and I've, I'm a guinea pig in the Hopkins study on this. Uh, and in fact, I just got what's actually an illegal booster shot and I got the J and J one, which works on a different mechanism than the, the Pfizer and Moderna. And I'm hoping that will jack up my immune system. And, and Hopkins has given me all kinds of blood tests, not just antibodies before and after. And it's funny, they're on a don't ask, don't tell policy because, uh, I had to kind of sneak to get my booster, and they said, don't tell us how you got it. So we'll see. <laughs> and I'm curious, um, you mentioned masks, and schools are generally, uh, have been at least, I don't know about right now, requiring masks. Are, are, where, are you, where do you stand on that? Well, uh, evidence-based, which is what public health and industrial hygiene are supposed to be sure. it's been repeatedly shown uh, that wearing masks and social distancing really makes a huge difference in people getting sick and it's never been established HVAC or cleaning does that and and then on, on the subject of masks I've, I've the you know, the, the cloth masks help, but the advantage of using N95s, which are back now, I mean, we couldn't even get them last year, uh, 
Right. Uh, and I have a quick story to tell. In so one of the universities we're working with, the the I was working with the maintenance guys. They were religiously wearing their cloth COVID masks, and when I was there, the COVID was spreading like wildfire through that th- those guys, and in uh, situations where the N95 is being used. I'm not seeing COVID being transmitted, so it makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Oh, gentlemen, this has been fun. Cliff, final thoughts, final words? Um, Just, you know, this COVID thing, you know, know, did it come out of a lab or did it not? You know, Uh, I'm thinking that, you know, I I just... um, you want to go down that um, rabbit hole? <laughs> you, you don't have another hey, hour. Hey, hey, I'm an ex, I'm an exterminator. I like going down rabbit holes. That's, 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 uh, yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. I think that's something that uh, I don't know if we'll ever find out. Don, what do you think? I, I think that, that, that the evidence uh, is, is, is very difficult to obtain at this point, one year after the incident actually took place. It's like investigating a murder when, when everybody's been stopping through the, uh, the, the, you know, the site and you try to do a, some kind of, of, of evidence-based uh, of investigation after, after that. You can't. It, it's, it's, it's never going to really come out completely. But I do think that, uh, that, that it, it is uh, something that uh, should still be considered and, 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 uh, and, and looked at for the future. And, uh, and that's, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing hopefully from, something from CDC and from WHO where they basically come up with some guidelines for these uh, various uh, microbiology uh, laboratories that really mean something, that really basically make a difference, and, and we'll see what happens. So, so just real quick, the, uh, right. the, the natural uh, spread from animals, it seems completely uh, consistent with what we know about this and with other examples of viruses. Uh, on the other hand, I've been watching a lot of spy and conspiracy movies and it'd be cool to have it come from a lab. And for what I'm doing, I don't care. <laughs> we just got to get, we just got to get rid of this pandemic. It's horrible. <laughs> what a great way to end things, Ed. I love it. <laughs> All right. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's Unexpected but wonderful guests, Ed Light, Dawn Weeks. Uh, guys always pull us out of a jam, and we appreciate it. I want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. John, you got to have faith at the controls. Our sponsors, and most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. By the way, great show next week. Uh, Bill Bonfleth, Dr. Bonfleth, Dr. Stephanie Taylor, and Dr. Kishore Kankari are going to join us. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, COVID next week, and where we're at and where we're headed. So we'll be back next Friday at noon with the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Rio saying thanks for listening. 